Welcome to The Hollow Point, your source for the latest guns, gear, and gossip, with your host, Rich Nance and Mike Barilla. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Mike Barilla here, as always, with Rich, tactically tardy Nance. How are you doing today? That was a very dynamic introduction. <laughs> oh no, starting already, huh? Uh, first off, I want to apologize to everybody. We were kind of gone the last two weeks, just between our, our schedules, it made it, uh, impossible to bring you some, uh, some new content. So we are back. Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we're better than ever, but we're definitely back. That's something. <laughs> so, you know, we, I was busy. Uh, I hel- I hosted, uh, three different, uh, Chris Costa or Costa Ludus, uh, classes out here, um, on another range, you know, being, being host isn't always the funnest thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many people out there have done it, but, you know, running around making sure there's enough staples and paper and logistics and last minute cancellations and all that kind of stuff. So that, that was my life for the last about two weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's not, uh, that's not everything. You got some other things going on, but <laughs> yeah, a couple uh, <laughs> other things. Uh, <laughs> how was, uh, you were out of town too. Yeah, I was in Oklahoma, a small town there, uh, called Venita, Oklahoma. It was a little chilly compared to, uh, California and uh, taught a private course to a uh, law firm and um, very cool, very pro Second Amendment uh, guys. And, uh, and of course, there were some some people there that that really uh, not necessarily were anti-gun, but were afraid of guns. They, they had no experience with them. So we got them handling guns a little bit and we did some live fire stuff, some uh, blue gun type, uh, you know, weapon retention, weapon disarming type stuff. And what I think they even got the most out of was a um, civilian response to active shooter uh, presentation, which was condensed to about two hours. You know, we used Nerf guns and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think that they were able to really see that there is a lot of things that the average person can do, even unarmed, should they find themselves in an active shooter event. Yeah, you know, you're you're uh, <laughs> you have kind of a unique perspective on all on all that kind of stuff. So that that that's that was, that's pretty cool. You know, I. I How's it? Was it was it cold out there? It was chilly, man. Um, <laughs> it, for me, you know, in the twenties or, or or low thirties, that's uh, that's pretty chilly. But um, you know, everybody was uh, was really interested in it, and um, you know, some of the guys like like most. This might lead us be a good lead into some of the Costa stuff that some of the students were very squared away and and uh, could comprehend everything that I was teaching and, and were ready to move on, and others were. Um, struggling to figure out which part of the gun points toward the bad guy <laughs> which way to point it sure yeah you know that was that that was one of the struggles you know um because that's that's the kind of the thing with open enrollment classes you get a wide gamut of of uh of skill levels you know some guys belong in a level two three class you know no problem and other guys you know um don't <laughs> yeah it's easier to kind of overestimate how skilled we may be especially when we have no barometer to compare it to if we haven't taken any other courses you know and our grandfather showed us how to shoot 10 cans with a 22 we might think we're pretty scored away well and the other thing is a lot of people think that oh i've taken a level one class i have to go to a level two class there's no there's nothing that they can learn from from taking another level one class and i found that to be in- incredibly inaccurate you know i've taken dozens of of level one classes and actually sometimes enjoy them better no, and you learn something new each time, and, uh, you know, I mean, how many times, I've taken several of Dave Spaulding's courses, and, um, you know, I would take the same course again, same thing with Kelly McCann, I mean, some his combative course I've taken several times, and each time I get something else from it, so if you're open-minded, you're if, if you're open-minded and the instructor is competent, uh, 
um, or in these cases, highly skilled, you can't help but learn things each time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we started off with, it, it was, <laughs> speaking of cold, you know, even being California, I think it was below freezing a couple times on the range. That, yeah. that made it kind of rough. But, um, you know, the first class was a handgun one class. It was pretty good. Um, everybody uh, rolled with it. You know, there there was a lot of, lot of good learning going on there. Um, the cool part is we had a kind of a private class, a small class. Yep. That was more, uh, I mean, the, it was all CCW type oriented stuff. So, you know, the first day was drawing, you know, moving around objects, moving around people, some, got to do some cool uh, downrange stuff that you don't know, normally get to do. Yeah. Um, so, so that was fun. And then the, the second day was uh, low light, no light in my range. Um, that, which, was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I honestly haven't had too much exposure to that stuff. So it was, um, it was really unique uh, working in that kind of environment. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that, Mike, was review to me. I mean, I had learned that stuff previously and even taught that stuff to, you know, uh, officers at our agency, but um, again, just uh, hearing it and seeing uh, someone as skilled as Costa demonstrating that stuff, again, you learn more. You have a deeper understanding than when you came in, and, and that's what it's about. It's not about saying, I already know how to do the Harry's flashlight yeah. technique. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to try to post some uh, some pictures up from that class as soon as uh, Alfredo gets those to us. Nice. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's going to be some cool uh, some cool images from that. You know, we did all kinds of different um, different drills, different theory. You know, that was the only class that actually started with a PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I like that. And I also like um, I like some of the drills that he got into. Um, for instance, you want to talk a little bit of uh, controversial topic, you know, uh, temple index, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds horrific. It sounds like it's a bad idea. But yet some of the scenarios that, that uh, Costa put us through, uh, that that is the safest uh, index position to have. Yeah, and, when you're and, walking around, a lot of people, you know, think like movie theater or something like that, where you know you're you're all over the place, or there's people all over the place, or cars or or other tight scenarios like that. It, sure. it does have a place. You know, it is kind of kind of weird and unnatural at the at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but if you do it right, it's perfectly safe. And for people that may not understand what we're talking about, we're talking about actually having your hand against, you know, your your temple essentially uh, as as a physical reference. Now, it's it can be very dangerous if your hand is not indexed to your head because then your muzzle could be pointed at your head. I mean, this is something to best train with a blue gun to get the hang of it. Um, and, and then before you, you carry a live gun in that um, ready position, make sure that, uh, that someone competent is watching you to make sure that you're doing it safely. You also have to be concerned that when that's to your head, Mike, if you start to run, and Costa was big about pointing out you know, the potential hazards here, your body orients forward. You could be pointing your muzzle at someone in front of you the same as you know, if, if you're turning, if, if you, you over, rotate, yeah. you could be pointing your gun at someone behind you. No position is 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 great all the time. And uh, one of the things I liked is is that he said that this is not the absolute best ready position, but there are some situations like when you're moving around crowds where it is it is one of the best. Yeah, and it lets you be a tight package, kind of you know, in the, in that sense where you're where you can swivel, you can move without having to to worry about that. And you know, it's a somewhat de- you know. It's not the best retention position, but it's it's somewhat decent. It it keeps the gun close to your body, which is good. Um, so it's harder for the bad guy to grab. But I, it wouldn't be my first choice. For instance, like uh, I I hate a high ready position, whether you're using a long gun or a handgun. When you're talking about entering a room, because yeah. someone can so easily get underneath that, and you know how much emphasis I place on weapon retention. So 
I think it's a terrible position really for that, but that's not what it's for. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, that's not the best. That that's not the case that you're using that in. It it would be basically situations where you would use position Sewell, for instance, where you keep the gun uh, very compressed. Only with Sewell, as Costa uh, pointed out, when you're running and stuff, you, your legs can be in front of your muzzle, and um, and it's just awkward as hell. You're 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 running like a with a stick up your butt around, yeah. You know, just just because you have that gun there, and you can't. The the true like swoop is that you can't use that 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 secondary hand for anything, yeah. which is kind of weird. And also, that's terrible for weapon retention too. Yeah. So that's not that's not designed for that. Both of those temple index and uh, Sewell are I don't even know if you'd call them ready positions. You know, defaulting to uh, kind of Spalding's terminology, those are um, like uh, preparatory positions. Yeah. Um, n- not necessarily are you ready. It's just almost like an administrative position. So. Yeah, you know, so so we did that. Uh, the third day of that class was was pretty cool. It was a kind of team tactics slash. I, I hesitate to call it a force on force because people always think you know Delta Force versus SEALs or something like that. That's not what it was. And that, and that was at CQB City in Stockton, which is I think if not the largest, one of the largest indoor airsoft facilities. Yeah, that's in what the, the sign says. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't check, but yeah, uh, yeah. So the that place uh, it offered a really cool training environment. You know, where there's houses set up, stairs, all kinds of stuff where we could uh, navigate through. And it was, again, it wasn't, you know, a huge force-on-force thing. It was um, bump in the night. How do you clear a room safely? You know, kind of the, the, the pieing the doorways, the not giving yourself up or poking your gun through doorways, you know, that kind of stuff. It was um, it was really cool. And then also how to protect a, a principal. You know, you have your wife or your kid or, or whatever, how to shield them the best, how to not make that a huge hindrance uh, yeah, while going through a building. And some people may think, well, why do I need to do that? I'm not going to be protecting the president. No, but you're protecting your spouse, your family yeah. member. So that is important. Um, you know, we, we did some of that on the live fire range too, where we kind of overhooked, you know, yep. uh, the uh, principal's arm and kind of shielded him as best we could. And communication is key, you know, telling him when to move, when you're going to stop and all that stuff. You don't want him, right when you're about to shoot, you know, he runs into you, that could be a bad but thing. But you do have that uh, that accordion effect a little bit, Absolutely. you know, because it, it's impossible to be on the same step with someone else, yeah. so especially in a situation like that with guns going off. So you got to kind of learn, you know, what, how to do that. You know, I, I guess if it was someone you knew better, you could work on some kind of like squeeze techniques or yeah. stuff like that. But, you know, if you're just grabbing, it's, it's, uh, that was really cool to do. I've never really done anything like that. And, and I had a schedule conflict the third day. So unfortunately I wasn't able to go to CQB city with you guys. But what I liked about the first day and the second day is that, I mean, again, I've been carrying concealed for 20 years and, um, but still I learned a lot from that class, like different ways that he would remove his garment, um, yep. uh, to facilitate the draw stroke, kind of like a crush, you know, crush and move. Uh, he also taught something where you're basically grabbing your garment and then kind of hooking it over your the grip exactly as opposed to pulling your hand up to your chin you know and i thought that that was pretty useful too um he's a he's a big proponent you know of appendix carry as are we and um i learned uh some stuff i really uh, like watching him yeah and i I like his uh approach to things where he's not saying you know this is the only way you have to do it he's very uh open to to people disagreeing with him on it, you know, obviously. So, um, you know, he can teach you what he knows and then he'll tell you straight up that, you know, it might not be the best. He always kind of prefaces everything with, uh, for me, this, this works or for me, that works, you know? And also when you watch him, uh, it's kind of hard to argue, you know what I mean? Because he is highly skilled. He's fast. Um, he's a good shot. So, um, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. And he, uh, he gets the job done when it comes to that. 
um, I, I like the commonality. In other words, day one, even though it started out very basic, trigger manipulation and stuff like that, got into draw stroke, got into removing garments and stuff like that, concealing garments to facilitate the draw. And then it built up to some uh, first using like uh, range props, like like barrels and stuff like that to simulate people and using that uh, temple index yeah. or whatever position they chose that was also safe and, and applicable in that uh, particular scenario. And he had us, you know, working, pretending that those were people so we weren't muzzling them. And then it turned out to, at a very slow and controlled pace with him right there to intervene, we were moving around people. And then we were actually shooting Past around people, people. Yeah. yeah. And I think that... Um, and not it, in the Vickers Russian Spetsnaz way. No, we're not doing anything was, like that. And that's the thing. And I, and I hate to even almost bring this up in this format because we can't explain. But trust me, I've been a firearms instructor for a long time. You were around firearms and very proficient, Mike. There was no safety concerns. No, not um, at all. It, it was worked up in a very slow and incremental way. And let's face it. I mean, if you're, if you're having to use your gun for real, it, it's going to be dangerous. And to some degree, at the range in a safe manner, you have to replicate that shooting in and around people. And this is something not that you're not going to do day one or day two or day 15, you know, that you've ever held a firearm. But at some point, you know, your training has to, um, has to become more realistic. And, and then there's that balance between, um, you know, if, if you want to be completely safe, you would never train realistically. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think you reached a, a really good balance there. It was, it, it, pushed what we you know what we knew and what we what we could do but still saying you know extremely safe and extremely um how do you put it uh extremely beneficial to yeah. everybody and we have done stuff like that at the police department but um never exactly like that like for instance one of the drills was that we're sitting around a table which simulates uh you know you're in a restaurant or whatever else and there's yeah. people there in in this wasn't random. Costa specifically put chairs in certain spots to make sure safety was... <laughs> that that, was, was, that was the to. number one. Yeah. Exactly. Safety was the number one priority. But you did still shoot in and around people and then temple index and move around people. And it was really beneficial. I'm going to steal. I mean, borrow. I mean, yeah, steal <laughs> some of that stuff and take it back to the police department. But what was really cool is with the low light stuff, again, the beginning of the day, there was a lot of tidbits of information uh, that I gleaned. But it was, it was mainly review. But toward... Yeah, toward the end of day two, when we were doing low light at uh, your shop there, Mike Tracer Rifle and Pistol. Um, Thanks for the plug. <laughs> I, I could barely get that in before taking a breath. <laughs> but um, it's easier to give plugs when you're writing. It's a little harder, you know, when you're when you're on a podcast. But anyway, uh, derailed my train of thought. Isn't oh, here, here like we go. One of it's our jobs back. on here, though. It's coming back to me now, Mike. It's coming back to me. Vortex EQC. All right, <laughs> so no, when you get up and you're moving around the table, that same scenario we did the second day in a low light situation, which was really cool. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of familiar, but yet, so in other words, we remembered all the safety protocols and, and what we had to do. That was the movie. Was really drill, neat, yeah. Exactly. Really neat doing that um, in a low light situation. And um, again, it wasn't complete darkness where we're shooting blindly. Uh, there was a little ambient light and uh, safety was uh, was paramount. But really good drills and um, a little more than just your average, you know, here's a Harry's technique, here's a, you know, surefire technique. And what I liked about it is he talked about the pros and cons of each and uh, demonstrated uh, very well. He's so proficient that even if you understand something, watching, you can learn a lot just yeah. from watching him. Yeah, and I mean, he... he you can master all those techniques, so it's pretty cool to, to see just switching, you know, fluently from one to the other. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Mike, some guys that are police officers for, you know, 10 years and work primarily at night know one flashlight technique, you know, the Harry's technique. Yeah, but That's, it doesn't always work. You know, we, we were doing stuff around barricades or, you know, weird positions. It made it 
made it very hard to uh, to use certain techniques. We learned what what works, you know, around, you know, let's say you're shooting left around a, a barricade that the FBI and also the the deceiving kind of factor, you know, not always going in the same direction. Sure. You know, go some low, some high, yep. um, or the the spotlight move techniques were were pretty cool. Yep. No, absolutely. Where you're not just you know beaconing where you are the entire time. <laughs> yeah, in um, kind of back backstepping a little bit here. You know, when he talked about appendix and, and we saw his draw and how fast it was and everything. Um, when I was, again, on day three, I was traveling to Oklahoma, so I didn't get to do um, the CQB stuff that you guys did. But uh, in Oklahoma, uh, a friend of mine, Spencer Keepers from Keepers Concealment, came uh, to the class and, and actually participated in, in the class and and also uh, presented some appendix uh you know, kind of like a case on why appendix is not only safe, but uh, why it's a valid uh, method of carry. And it was neat. I gleaned some kind of uh, interesting uh, tidbits from him as well. So uh, first of all, where do you put that? Where do you carry it? I mean, a lot of people, they don't like appendix carry because it's uncomfortable when they're seat. Or they have a gun pointed at their dick. Right. Yeah. Right now I have a Glock 19 and it, I can barely even tell it's there. It's yep. so comfortably worn. And here's another plug. I'm using a Spencer's con- uh, Keeper's Concealment. I screwed that plug up, damn it. <laughs> a Keeper's Concealment holster made by Spencer Keepers, and it's really comfortable. Um, one of the things that his holsters are known for is they have kind of a wedge that um, makes it to where the bottom of the holster does not dig into you. Yeah. And it also makes it to where the top of the holster is kind of canted towards you, which is uh, helpful in concealment. See my th- my thing though. Everybody kind of, sorry. Everybody recently kind of treats this uh, this whole appendix thing as like a new phenomenon. I really don't think it is. No. I mean, I, I I can look back to you know 150 years ago when they made the first uh, first semi-auto pistol. The first guy took it and stuck it in his waistband right there. Well, I mean, Mike, it's just a, such a natural I position mean, for it. As a cop, that's where people carry guns. Yeah. Even without holsters, that's they they a lot of people call that felony carry. The appendix carry, or in other words, <laughs> that's where you. Uh, that's where you. <laughs> that's where you naturally. If I gave you something and you had it concealed upon your uh, waistband, that's where you're going to put it. You know. Yeah. So so again, it's it's nothing new. You know, it it only really made the 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 news or nothing. You know, I mean the sure. the, the industry kind of news lately because of all the controversy over you know some dude shooting his dick off like yeah. it. it it's nothing new, and I don't think. I mean, I hear the arguments that it's inherently, you know, if you are going to shoot yourself, that direction is more dangerous. To me, I mean, those those terminal ballistics are just such a shit show. I mean, if you, yeah. even if you have yeah. it at at at, uh, at three o'clock, you know, sure. you point that gun yeah. into your leg and pull the trigger, you're going to be sorry. What was very interesting, Mike, um, is he had a cert pistol. Spencer Keepers had a cert pistol, and he demonstrated um, reholstering uh, with his uh, holster worn behind the hip. And during that process, you could see that the cert pistol, the the, uh, the laser, crossed his body. Yeah. However, when he did it, he holstered appendix carry. It did not cross his body. So a lot of it has to do with technique. I mean, it's um, well. And the other thing is, like we've kind of talked about before, um, there's no hurry usually to get back into the holster. I mean, guys Absolutely. are you know, unless you do have to make some kind of weird movement or you know that that tempo nix is working, you want to holster and run somewhere. But that's a very limited, you know, in a training environment, there's no reason to hurry so much to get back in the holster. And I think that's where a majority of NDs like that happen is when, you know, some guy is just rushing way too fast for for what his skill level is, catches a jacket, catches a finger, whatever it is, and just rips that round off. There really is no hurry to get that gun back in the holster. If you drew your gun and got in a shooting or even didn't get in a shooting, there's no reason to be in a hurry to put that gun away. Absolutely. And, um, 
you know, another advantage that he was saying, um, uh, this was learned from, I guess, air marshal training. Uh, the air marshals would be on board a, a plane, and, and, and they would look for the type of movement where someone kind of leans over and places their, you know, their right hand behind their hip. That's very indicative that someone's going to draw a pistol. However, when someone's doing it, uh, drawing from appendix, you, the elbows don't flare out as much, yeah. and, and the, uh, the uh, technique for drawing is much uh, less obvious. And so those are the guys who present the threat, the guys that are, that are drawing from appendix. So it kind of has some tactical advantages. Another thing, too, that I had known but hadn't really considered until uh, Spencer gave his presentation was that um, it's faster. A lot of people understand that appendix carries faster, but specifically why it's faster is because you're sort of skipping one step. Let's say you're carrying you know, on your hip or behind your hip. The way we teach uh, is to draw to this kind of retention position or chest index position, pectoral index, whatever you want to call it, and then the gun comes in front of your body and your second hand joins. But when you when you utilize appendix carry, you skip that first step with the gun basically in that pictorial index. So you're coming straight to uh, the gun being in that what would be the third position where both hands are on it, and that way also as you start to punch out, you're picking up that sight even faster. So it, it was really neat. Again, there were some little uh, nuances that he spoke of that really. Um, made me have a deeper understanding of appendix carry, which has, you know, been my primary mode of carry. I've tried m many others, but my primary mode of carry for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it's, I haven't been around that long, but. Uh, <laughs> You've been on this planet. You just haven't been carrying that long. Yeah, it's kind of tough when you're six year old, you know, six years old carrying a gun. Uh, but, you know, I've been doing that for a long time and I've never, I've never felt unsafe doing it. And uh, it, it, just works the best for me i mean it's easiest it's the most comfortable you know there's a variety of holsters i've tried like you know the raven the eidolon or mm -hmm. however you want to pronounce that yeah. one um i've gone back to just the simplest thing yeah. you know just a little trigger guard the yeah. the minimalist Nick. Yeah. Nick, yeah the don't little... shoot your dick <laughs> exactly yeah. um that should be their slogan but it is uh, it is oh is it really? yeah <laughs> well there you go <laughs> i was out of loop on that one anyway <laughs> um but yeah, you know, just just doing something like that, and it's more comfortable. A lot of people feel like they need the most rigid holster, you know, so it doesn't move. Or I find when you carry appendix, a little gun movement is actually very beneficial, especially if you're sitting down, getting up, you know, moving around a lot. It tends to kind of fit in that comfortable spot, but it's always right there when you need it. Yeah, and it's easier to protect, you know, because you could see it. It's easier to holster safely, I think, because you can actually look the gun into the holster, whereas if it's behind your hip, you're going to have a hard time doing that. Also, I think we've talked about previously, Mike, when you're carrying behind your hip and you're going to holster, the tendency is to, even though your index finger remains outside the trigger guard, sometimes one of those other fingers, uh, when you lose your, quote, master grip, can find its way into the trigger guard. That's not an issue that you have with the appendix carry because it's, it's easier. It's in front of you. It's now, I mean, uh, more natural an, to holster. As an instructor, have you ever had to pay more attention to someone who was using an appendix carry or anything like that? You know, I mean, initially, I, I, I watch them very closely. It looks like I watch everyone else to make sure fingers aren't uh, going in the holster because that when someone's going to shoot themselves, it's typically when they're going to hold when they're holstering. Um, so we want to make sure they're not speeding back to the holster and that they're giving it a look. But really, I don't find any more uh, danger or, or I'm not any more nervous about someone appendix carry than any other carry. Now, are you ready for me to put you on the spot? Uh, sure, we can pause it if I say something stupid, right? <laughs> um, well, so, so my, my question is, how do you feel about inspe in instructors that don't allow appendix carry? 
You know, again, I mean, when a guy is teaching, who the hell am I to tell him what to teach or what not to teach? Um, but I, I think it's doing a disservice to uh, to students who may want to learn from that instructor, but yet they want to carry, you know, appendix, uh, for instance, in this case. But it's... Um, so I, I guess how to say that is I disagree with that, but maybe that instructor doesn't like that for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's tactical reasons or whatever else. Maybe that's not... Not dynamic uh, enough. It's, it's, not congru- it's not congruent. How about congruent? That's a good Ooh. word. It's not congruent with his methodology. Holy cow, I got I got to find my algebra textbook. So, uh, no, I mean, if it's... Here's Geometry, the thing. Geometry, maybe, I think. If the instructor is opposed to that mode of carry because he thinks it's unsafe or whatever, then it's completely up to him to not to not advocate that. I wouldn't advocate something I saw, I thought was unsafe. I just would argue that that's not unsafe. Yeah, I mean, that's my argument too. I don't think there's anything uh, inherently unsafe about it. Um, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> I think that um, it could be argued that it's not... In other words, there are cons to that mode of carry for sure. Um We've talked about the pros. You know, one of the other pros we didn't talk about is like if you're in a car wearing a seatbelt, it's easy to get to. Um, whereas if you're wearing it behind the hip, you got the junction of the seatbelt and the clip and all that stuff that's potentially in the way. But you know what? You know, I talked about um, appendix carry being easy for you to protect, you know, if you, if you have someone in close quarters. But it's also easy for them to get to, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's closer for them. So it's 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 more accessible to you, and it's also more accessible to your opponent who's in front of you. Whereas if your gun is worn behind the hip, you can use your offhand to kind of keep him at distance and bring your gun side leg back, and, and it's pretty difficult for him to reach your gun. Whereas with appendix, again, you're not going to get your gun as far away from the bad guy. And, and you can game this stuff to where appendix would be the best possible carry and where it would be the worst possible carry. Yeah. Everything is a balance and you just got to pick what you want, but you shouldn't pick it because Mike Barilla carries his gun this way. So this is how I'm going to carry my gun. I mean, my field training officer, you pick it because way. Rich Nance carries it. That and way. then you're, you're on solid ground. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's a good point. You don't have to change what you're doing for the sake of, of change. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's good to, 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 to try different methods. You know, I, I've tried carrying at all different positions, and I just found that to be the best. And yeah, I mean, for instance, um, very recently I was uh, training with Kelly McCann, and he's, he's an advocate of open garment with gun worn behind the hip. And that's because that's, he's e- 90. that's easier to get uh, with... Um, I'm going to get punched in the face for that one. one Yeah, I'm not even going there. Uh, With one (laughs) hand, it's easier to move that garment aside and get to your gun. And when you watch him, he's highly proficient, so there's no argument. It's like watching Costa do some of the little light stuff or whatever. I mean, he's truly a master of his his craft, and and I don't disagree that 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 works well for him, but for me, you know, appendix works a little better. Uh, Speaking of McCann, you know, you took that class. Right, uh, the same week we were doing the the handgun cost of class, so I had to miss out on that one, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I took that the basic uh, McCann class a couple of years ago and had a had a blast. Uh, yeah. it was sore for about a week. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a two day combatives class. Um, it was in uh, Chinatown in San Francisco, so a really neat venue, and um, it was great. Uh, one of the things that McCann does is he rather than teach tons of independent techniques. He really sticks to principles or concepts. And I do that, and many other instructors do that as well, but I've never taken a course that was uh, so based on principles as as this one I just took from Kelly. 
And uh, so he has 15 combative principles, and he... Name talk- them all. <laughs> Do it. Nah. <laughs> and, and he, um, what he does is he, rather than teaching a block on, like, here's two hours on edge weapon defense, and here's two hours on drawing a pistol, and here's an hour and a half on punching someone in the face, what he does is he talks about a principle, such as getting off the line of attack. And he shows the application of that, uh, both unarmed, so someone's throwing a punch at you, and also getting off the line of attack when someone draws a pistol, getting off the line of attack when someone has a knife, getting off the line of attack when someone has a stick. And so it really makes you understand these principles, and you start to connect the dots and understand that this principle, once I understand this, it will work for me regardless of the type of threat I face. And that is very unique. Again, everybody talks the talk that we teach principle-based you know, system. But this truly is a principle-based system. And it's it made for kind of a fun class because, you know, maybe you're not that into knives, so you don't want to just do knife stuff for two hours. Well, here we're putting down knives, grabbing a stick, putting on a stick, grabbing a pad, putting on a pad, grabbing a blue gun. I mean, it was it was craziness, but but in a good way. No, it sounds like a, like people learned a lot in that class. Yeah, I affirm you. You can't go to Kelly McCann and not not come back. Two things are going to happen: bring a bone. <laughs> you're going to come back bruised, and you're going to come back better. Yeah, so. for sure. Uh, you know that, that I was bummed that I missed that class. Uh, one thing I forgot about actually during the the low light no light class, we kind of had a we took a pause. Um, that like the day before, uh, CNN had reached out to me uh, to do a little filming. You know, it was kind of kind of a surprise call um, through a um, actually I was recommended by uh, the owner of uh, Coyote Point Armory um, over in Burlingame but um, so there's a there's a show on CNN that um, called uh, United Shades of America uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard of that but uh, it's comedian uh, Kamal Bell he um, he's typically a super left-wing you know Wing uh, nut. yeah that kind of that kind of thing but um, you know he in his first uh, season he did some things where you know he's he's a black guy and he went down to like the 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 KKK meetings and all kinds of stuff like that, and I guess has been getting some threats or you know whatever the case may be, and so he decided and he lives over in Berkeley, you know the the <laughs> yeah I won't even get into that anyway real conservative uh, place yeah exactly um, and he decided to uh, to to buy a gun to protect his family. and uh, kind of you know that whole episode is going to be about you know the purchase process. Um, it was funny because even he thought, you know, some of the laws that we have are absolutely ridiculous. You know, he wanted a, a, a Smith and Wesson uh, 686, and he wanted like a, a I forgot which exact model, but he wanted a six inch barrel, but only a four inch was on the California roster. You know, so he couldn't get the exact one he wanted, even though the barrel was just two inches longer. So that was kind of ridiculous to start off with. Um, and then uh, there was some, you know, the the ten day wait, and we talked about how, uh, you know, if you have twenty guns at home, why wait for the twenty first sure. one? That makes no sense. Um, he didn't know about like the one in thirty day uh, restriction. So like, if he didn't like that six eighty six or wanted to get something different, or you know, maybe a, another gun for the house, he wasn't able to do that. So that that kind of, um, I, I want to say, upset him even a little bit. Um, but my portion of that is he came into the range to uh, to learn how to shoot the thing. Uh-huh. You know, he uh, he had no real. Exp- he shot some guns, you know, through the TV show and stuff before, but no real experience, um, like marksmanship, that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, we did kind of like a safety brief first, um, some kind of life lessons, and then uh, went into shooting everything from you know some double action stuff, some single action stuff. Um, it, it was uh, it was kind of a cool experience, you know, teaching them on camera and with the the whole production crew there. 
You know, I know you do TV shows. How many people do you have working there when you film? Yeah, that was crazy. I went in there. There must have been 20 people in there. Yeah. And what do you have? Two? <laughs> no, we usually have about four. About four? Yeah. Yeah, but they, I mean, you know, that was a high budget CNN sure. thing. I mean, they're, they're running, you know, 20, 25 people running all over the place. <laughs> Sound guys and yeah, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so hopefully they don't make you look dumb, man. Yeah, I don't. You know that's why I agreed to it. You know we kind of vetted everything um, instead of you know we turn down requests like this all the time. Um, we picked this one because I thought the chance of that is pretty low, um, especially the this part of the topic. You know the the safety part and the shooting part. We didn't really talk you know politics or or um, you know anything like that. So there's really no way to to really make me look dumb on that one. Sure, <laughs> unless they really tried. But uh, so, you know, that that's going to be cool. That'll probably air sometime in the summer. You had a good hair day that day, too, Mike. Oh, I don't know. I recall. I, I had my uh, ear bro on all no, day. No. <laughs> the TCIs. Uh, I don't know about that one. Nice. Yeah. So, Speaking of TCI, what the hell is going on with them? 20 years. Yeah. TCI, man. It's been uh, 20 years. That was my, my buddy, uh, Don Medine, who uh, started that company. And it was... It was really a cool story. I mean, he was working narcotics, and he didn't have any good... Uh, We're talking know. about Tactical Command Industries, for those of you yeah. who don't know. and uh, Which is now owned by Safariland, like most things. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he, he just figured... This was back in the day when they had Radio Shack, right? So he's like, man, I could make something better than this at Radio Shack. He had no experience with that. Makes a, this uh, you know in-ear uh, earpiece so he can hear his radio, but other people can't. And... Um, and then people started wanting it. Guys, he worked with, hey, man, can I get one of those? Can I get one of those? And it started in his garage and turned into this huge, huge company where he was a, a supplier of, uh, you know, to military and law enforcement all over the world. And, and I got to say, a lot of a lot of big name instructors who have access to all kinds of different hearing pro, they they say that's their absolute favorite. Yeah, you know, they use the same shells as the MSAs, so they look identical. But I find the electronics to be better on yeah. the TCIs. You know, it doesn't even sound like you're wearing um, Ear Pro. It's very clear, um, yeah. very very crisp audio through it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like those, and that's a that's a free plug for you guys over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don Medine's a great dude. He was my uh, FTO, my field training officer when I first started, and later became a sergeant at the agency that I work for. And then he um, he ended up uh, retiring uh, uh, maybe like ten years ago now, and and he did that full time for a while, and we sold it to uh, Safari Land, and uh, now he's Cashed out. now he's flying. He's uh, got his pilot license and, awesome. and doing all that stuff. So he's a great guy. Um, neat story too. What? But, go ahead. No, he. The cool thing about Don is he knew um, he knew what the stuff was uh, designed to do. He wasn't just like some engineer who came up with something. He was a cop and and that was where he knew what he needed. Exactly. That was that was his love and his passion and he wanted to make sure that he provided the best possible gear because he knew guys' lives might depend on it. So yeah. really cool story. Speaking of ear pro, what a weird thing were you <laughs> wearing at the the class? Oh man, now you're gonna put me on the spot to remember the name. They're by Walker and they're in ear and they um uh, it's in ear electronic hearing pro and they have kind of this i don't know what you call it like the base rests around your neck and then the um you know uh the ear pieces pull out um and they're corded yeah. they're connected by a cord and you know what's they funny work really is those well. aren't those those have been headphones for a long time i yeah, found yeah. out exactly. i saw some uh 80 year old lady at uh, sure. lunch the other day listening to blondie on them nice nice <laughs> so no they were they work really good man they light up all kinds of funny colors too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was cool in the low light class. <laughs> you could tell where Rich was all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't wear him in a tactical environment. 
Um, so that brings us to uh, California these days. Oh, gosh. Yeah, tomorrow is like the last day, right, Mike, where um, well, someone... The, yeah, we're recording this on, uh, on the 20th, so... The 21st is the last day in California because you do have to uh, pick up by the end of the year um, to be eligible for uh, for registration. I mean, a quick quick overview of things. Um, uh, there was a couple bills passed that limited the the future sales of bullet button equipped uh, rifles. They basically recategorized them as assault weapons. Um, you know, if you want more details, you can listen to the the last episode with Craig on there. Um, we kind of went in depth on that. But basically, they have to be picked up by the end of the year. So right now, we're going uh, pretty crazy. We're we're out of just about every AR, lower everything that. Um, I mean, we have none left, and we've gone through at least a couple hundred this month. So, um, has DOJ came out with the specifics yet, or no? Not yet. Okay. You know, we're they just did the magazine ones on Friday for the for the magazine uh-huh. uh, restrictions. Um, I'm thinking they're going to wait till it, it could have even happened while we're recording this, but more more likely they'll wait till tomorrow. Okay. Because that is the the cutoff. Um, what okay. they want to avoid is kind of a, a problem where um, it pushes more sales. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to avoid, even yeah. though people really kind of know about it already. Yeah, um, and some of those factors that are still, uh, you know, up in the air are that once you register, um, can you put a normal mag release on it? Exactly. You know, Do you still stuff? need a bullet button? And then, quite frankly, if you have a feature list, I would think you don't because it's yeah, feature list feature list yeah. didn't change, yeah. so you're good to go there. Um, the problem is going to be is, you know, there's already a couple of lawsuits forming. Um, the big thing is also why they waited so long to do these regulations. You know, they yeah. knew, um, at least July 1st that these, uh, that these laws passed. And so now they're doing a process called the, the emergency regulation process uh-huh. that kind of limits, um, public input and, you know, the, the discussion about things and it goes right to, to process. So, Goes through what's called the uh, the Office of Administrative Law or uh, OAL, mm-hmm. um, and they do have an emergency process. But this was an emergency created by DOJ sure. because they had enough time to do this. They just decided not to. They created the exigency. Exactly, um, which you know you know very well that doesn't that doesn't work. You know, nope. so um, you know you can't bust out someone's window to get them to scream to to have exigent surf- circumstances yeah. to go into their their house, right? Or, or jump in front of a car and shoot the driver because you were in harm's way. Exactly. So you know they they kind of did that in in waiting this long, and now there that you know it goes through that emergency process, which is kind of a real backdoor way to do things. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, uh, hopefully the, the the courts will save us on some of this stuff, but it's going to be years. You know, that's the problem. Um, you know, even if Trump does get his uh, um, appointments to the, the Supreme Court passed and everything, I mean, you're talking, you know, three, four, five years before that even gets in front of him, if it ever does. Um, so, you know, we're not, not looking too great on that yeah. right away. So we'll, we'll do what we can, you know. Um, for anybody listening, reach out to firearmspolicy.org. Uh, Califel, you know, all those organizations really do uh, do a lot to to help gun rights in California. You know, we, I know we have a couple things in the in in process right now that are that are going to be exciting. So we should uh, should have some news on that shortly. Yeah, and sometimes California, you know, what happens here uh, happens. Yeah, what we talked about last time. Yeah, exactly. You know, people try to copy us. You know, you have roster or safe handgun roster uh laws in other states or um assault weapons laws or you know everything they kind of look this is the the testing ground for that stuff and that uh for for anti-gun laws and that really has to uh 
has to change. You know, one thing, Mike, uh, that's kind of cool is Smith & Wesson is coming out with kind of an updated M&P, right? I mean, that's just was announced within the last uh, day or two. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Not to put you on the spot too much, but... Uh, you are a little bit. I mean, there, there What's the difference? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that, All that, right, that, moving on. <laughs> no, I mean, looking at the, the pictures, there's not a lot of details out yet because it was just kind of leaked um, on accident, <laughs> I think. Uh, you know, there's no official Smith and Wesson accidentally on purpose. Maybe yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's no Smith and Wesson uh, official releases or anything that I've seen yet. Um, it looks like the grip's a little different, some more um, interchangeable parts, like you know, little grip panels and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the grip looks like a stippled, you know, like agency arms or mm-hmm. ATI grip, basically. Um, other than that, I didn't really see too much different, to be dead honest with yeah. you. Um, you know, I'm I'm hoping they may have. <laughs> I would really like to see them move the firing pin um, safety from under the rear sight, because uh, you know if you need to clean that out or anything, you got to push out sights, which is really annoying. I'd like to see them improve that trigger. Supposedly they put a whole new trigger in it. Um, you know, I don't know how much they uh, that that that'll help, but I, I I hope they at least looked at like the the. Um, the reset, uh, like the apex setup, sure. You know the reset assist. Uh, not having that audible and tactile reset was kind of a really big uh, detriment to that system. I thought, you know, the the stock ones were pretty pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, I really like the way uh, you know the MMPs feel in my hand, but it's just that trigger is just so it's so mushy to me. And uh, yeah, I, there, there's not much control over it. You know, there's not much feeling that goes into it. It's kind of just. Uh, it's rough to say the best, you know. But you know, there's some aftermarket solutions for that for sure. And it's, yeah, it's, Apex does a, a good, good job setup. with those. Sure, I've I've put in dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of those kits, and they uh, they really do help. So you know that that one, I don't know how much it's gonna gonna change. You know, the the market plus California. You know, we're not gonna be able to to touch them anyway. Sure. Now, I mean, California, the approved handgun roster. Wh- it seems like it's dwindling, and, and I know that that's, that's the anti-gunner's point, but um, people often ask me, and, and you would probably know this better than me, what options are they, without naming every one, but I mean, like, Gen 3 Glocks, right, people can buy. Talk a little bit about that Yeah, that craziness. So, so basically, the whole point of the roster, um, they knew, uh, you know, the, the anti-gun legislature, legislators... Um, I don't agree with them, but they're they're not stupid in that sense. You know, they knew back then this was um, early '90s. I want to say um, that they couldn't just say, "Hey, we want to ban all handguns tomorrow." Boom, done. Um, they knew that wouldn't fly. Even you know, even even they knew that. So what they did under the guise of safety, which a lot of these crap laws are are kind of you know sure. guided around, um, they made this uh, safe handgun roster so that uh, manufacturers, at first, it was just kind of a drop test thing. The real, the whole point of these was to get rid of the, what used to be called, you know, Saturday Night Specials, yes. those Ravens, Lorsons, you know, those yep. $25, $50 guns. Where people are going to be prone to accidentally shoot themselves. Yeah, um, but they wanted to get those off the streets. That, that was the main thing. They didn't want guns to be accessible to uh, minorities and, and low-income people. They didn't want that. Um, that was the real goal. Uh, so what happened, uh, they made this, so they had to drop test them, you know, in, in a certified factory, certain way, a couple of guns had to be submitted, you know, and, and most guns could pass that, that, that wasn't really a problem. All the guns could pass that. It wasn't overly expensive, but what happened was that was the base. And then, uh, they kept adding restrictions on top of it. So a few years ago, they added that the gun, you know, to be, to be rostered has to have a loaded chamber indicator, like a huge, you know, red, 
loaded went up kind of thing, which I think is just extremely unsafe. It has to be like immediately recognizable to someone from so many feet away, the average yeah, person. Yeah, but you know, the, the problem with that is it, it kind of, it's it's that dumbing of, of, of the people kind of thing. Like I look at um, a good good comparison is, you know, if you go into a store, when people go into a store, they assume that there's no, uh, that the floor isn't slippery, not because there's not water on it, but because there's no slippery when wet sign on it or slippery yeah, sign on it. Yeah. Um, and same thing, you know, they, they assume the gun's not loaded because that, that little finger isn't up instead of yeah. actually checking the chamber, which sure. is extremely dangerous. Um, so I think it does more harm than good, uh, to be dead honest. So, you know, that, that was an addition. Um, there was a couple other little additions here and there. The big killer was uh, micro-stamping. Yeah. So in 2006, uh, the governor passed a, a thing where, you know, you had to have um, the serial number in the make or whatever stamped on each cartridge that was fired on the primer or wherever else. And But it didn't go into effect until the attorney general uh, determined that it was uh, feasible and not encumbered by patents. Well, um, Harris a couple of years ago decided now's the time and signed off on that, even though there, the technology doesn't exist. She blatantly yeah. broke the law on that. Um, and, you know, there's no repercussions for her. Um, but anyway, so, so no new guns can get added because the technology doesn't exist. Um, no new semi-autos. You know, there's some revolvers that still can. But, but basically, so the long-term plan on this was make it so no new guns can get added. They got that. Now it's just a waiting game for all these guns to get discontinued and drop off or change. Sure. For example, Smith and Wesson changed the the way that they made uh, a couple of the parts in the M and P's. You know, they went to metal injected molding. Well, DOJ said, "Hey, you know what? It's not the same gun it's anymore." It's a new gun, and, and the changes are so minor; they don't change anything about the functionality. No, it's weapon. just the material of one of the parts. So you know that that happened. So a bunch of guns fell off of that, and they're what they're waiting for is all these guns like the Gen three Glocks. Glock's not making as many of those as they make, you know, Gen 4s for the rest of the country. So they're waiting till those get discontinued. Some of the older, you know, Berettas and things get changed. They're looking at, they're inspecting guns all the time to look for the minute changes to drop them. Um, and that's kind of the, 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 the problem now. So, you know, in the next five years, there's not going to be handguns available in California, period. Yeah. And what's ironic is, you know, the Heller case uh, or the McDonald case uh, in D.C., uh, you know where where uh, where Heller sued to get basically the the second second amendment you know against the states, or you know that it that it um, uh, shit what do you call it uh, that it applies to handguns you know or, and and all that stuff. The gun that was used in that case is not on the California roster, so you wouldn't be able to buy it. Huh. Just you know kind of just irony there. Yeah. No, it's frustrating and people. And it hurts us, you know, from from the business side too. People can't get the newest, safest guns under the guise of this, you know, safe yeah. handgun roster. You know, if a company makes a gun safer, then you can't you can't buy it. And the average person has no idea these laws. I mean, they're wacky. They're wacky even for people who try to follow them and try. And in other words, someone who's trying to not break California's gun laws can inadvertently break them. And I'm not saying that in defense of, you know, criminals who. Intentionally or committing no, no, crimes no, with guns, those guys should be put away. You know what I mean? Stricter laws or stricter penalties for people who commit crimes with guns, I'm all for. But you know, well, yeah, this has done nothing to you know save anybody or, or no, save any children or anything like all. that. You know, it, it has it has no effect on that. Um, so you know that and and how many cops really know the intricacies of that? Yeah, I mean, it, or DAs or or anybody. It's it's that's a mess. problem down the whole line. Nobody really knows. You know. Yeah, and then there's no there's no rhyme or reason to the California approved handgun uh, roster. It's just 
I mean, a, a certain finish of a gun or certain minor things. Yeah, you just buy it in a different color. You yeah, can't, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I'm hoping that that goes away pretty soon. Yeah. You know, there's a couple cases yeah. uh, against that. Yeah. Well, cool. I think it's about time to wrap this one up, huh? Yeah, sounds good. You know, we... Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. You know, you can always check us out on facebook.com slash the hollow point podcast. Uh, Twitter's at THP podcast. Uh, please email us podcast at the hollow point dot net. Uh, we, you know, we want to hear your feedback. We want to hear some questions, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, till, uh, till next week, right? Adios. <laughs>